morning. Today's passage comes from Mark verses seven, Mark seven verses one through eight. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. This is God's word for us. You may be seated. There we go. My bad. Rookie mistake. All right. Uh, it is great to be gathered with you. My name is Zach Stanton. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the worship director here at Grace. And uh, probably a handful of you are confused that you're seeing me right now rather than normally you see me uh, leading the singing portion. Uh, this morning, though, I'm excited to have the privilege to open the word with you. This morning, we have come to Mark chapter 7 in our uh, series through the book of Mark. And this is a significant moment in the book of Mark. This is a stark contrast from where we've been. The last few things that we've seen, especially in chapter 6, these last three three vignettes that Mark shares with us um, are showing us how people are coming to Jesus. They're seeing the great things he's doing, and and they're, they're wanting to be fed by him. And then we come to chapter 7, and we, some, we see something very, very different happen. We see uh, an interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. And this passage is actually one of Jesus' longest recorded passages of teaching in the book of Mark. And so it's very significant uh, in, in what Jesus has to say uh, in this book about his kingdom and who he is. So let's just set this up. The last three things that happened in Mark chapter 6, we saw Jesus feed the 5,000. We saw Jesus walk on water. And in, in, in the last few verses, we see Jesus healing many, many people in the town of Gennesaret. So we're seeing Jesus' miraculous power being displayed. And Mark is laying it on thick here because he wants us to see that all of the kingdom claims that Jesus has made up to this point they're not just claims, but Jesus has the power to show, I am the coming Messiah. I am the, the, the son of the father. I am divine. And the contrast here is that though we've seen these miraculous things that Jesus has done, now we have this, this story with the Pharisees where they are, are demonstrating their pettiness, Who cares about the fact that you just fed 5,000 people? We're concerned about the way that your disciples don't wash their hands, right? Do you feel the weird contrast here that's happening? 
This is a very long and, and the most tense exchange that Jesus has with the Pharisees in this book. And uh, this interaction shows us the dangerous nature of the Pharisees' worship of God. And it is a very important admonition for us because the way that the Pharisees, their fundamental failure here is a way that many people are tripped up in their own faith. So it, it may seem strange to talk about washing hands and that doesn't maybe connect with us, but we're going to see how this is something that we need to think about and deal with in our own lives as well. So as we're looking at this passage this morning, it's in three parts. We're going to look first at an example of legalism. And then in the second part of this passage, Jesus identifies a fruit of legalism, something that comes out of this way of thinking. And then in the final 10 verses, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter and he shows us what is the antidote for legalism. So uh, if you haven't already opened your Bibles to Mark chapter 7, and would you pray with me and please pray for me as we get started. Father, we are thankful to be gathered here as your people. Thank you for each person who's in this room. Thank you that we can be a demonstration of the body of Jesus. And thank you not only for our church, but all of the other churches in our town and our community and the state of Iowa around the world that are worshiping you today. And as we do that, Lord, I pray that your church would bring glory and honor to your name and that we would care for and love one another, that we would continue to grow in our faith and our maturity in Christ. And that as Josh just encouraged us, that we would be actively pursuing your kingdom work, each one of us, to your glory. Work in our hearts this morning as we look at this passage and teach us what we need to know, what we need to apply in our own lives about how we think about our actions. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we see in these first eight verses an example of legalism. We should start by just defining this term. What is, what is legalism? It's not a word that shows up in scripture, but it's a concept that is talked about a lot in scripture. And this is also a word that gets used in a lot of different ways. And I'm sure all of us have some kind of sense of what, what you think it means. I want to just talk about two particular ways that this word is used. The first, which is probably the most common, is the idea that we earn or contribute to our salvation through our good works. That our salvation is, is in part bought or justified by how good we are. A second way that this word is commonly used, and this is how this word is, is uh, going to apply to, especially to this passage this morning. It's the idea of adding rules to God's word to help me to avoid sin in my life. But then I also expect other people to hold to my convictions. This is adding extra rules to God's word and then asking or expecting other people to keep those rules as well. And what this leads to is, um, is, is condemnation and arrogance. When we have this kind of attitude about how people should live their lives, we can become very arrogant because we think we, we know what's right and we want other people to do the same thing. Pastor and author Paul Tripp said this about legalism. He says, legalism is always connected to a condemning spirit. And I can tell you from my own life that that has been my experience, that I have been there myself 
and my condemnation of other people. And I've certainly seen other Christians have that condemning spirit of others when they start getting too focused on what kind of rules am I following and how fastidious am I in keeping these rules. Legalism is fueled by pride. And legalists feel justified by their actions, by their good works. And legalists have forgotten or are unaware of the grace of God in their lives or in the lives of other people. But at the same time, they're very aware of other people's or their own shortcomings. And the reason legalism can be so dangerous, the reason we don't see it in our own lives, is because it comes usually from a place of good intentions. Right? That, that definition says we're adding rules because we want to avoid sin. We don't want to sin against God. We want to do what's right. And because our intentions can be good, we can slip into this without even realizing exactly what we're doing. So now let's talk about this passage. We see in these verses the devotion of the Pharisees. You know, I think as Christians, we find it as a very common pastime to just toss the Pharisees under the bus constantly, right? It's, it's a fun game. Ooh, look what the Pharisees said this time, right? They, they seem kind of stupid and full of themselves. But let's face it, these guys were doing what they thought was right. And they were 110% in on it. All right, look at, look at the things that we just saw in this passage. They are going through all of these, these motions. They're going to great lengths to make sure that they're keeping these traditions, which are tedious and time-consuming. It's not convenient to wash not only your hands, not only your plates and your cups, but your dining couches. And this isn't just about hygiene, right? We, we have a different understanding of hygiene than they did. They, did, they didn't have soap that was, you know, killing 99.9% .9 of bacteria. That's not their concern. They're worried about uh, uh, ceremonial cleanliness. They don't want to be defiled. It's, a, it's an issue of sin for them in their minds. And when Jesus calls them hypocrites later in this passage, he is not saying that they're uncommitted or superficial. That's not at all what he's saying. Let's take a look at verses three and four together. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. All right, so th these are the things that they're doing. And it, it says, you know, if I come from the marketplace, I got to wash. They're so careful that they're afraid if they go shopping, they might brush up against somebody else that is ceremonially unclean. They don't want to take a chance. So when they get back home before they eat, they got to do their ceremonial washing. All right, so they are doing something that in the, the Jewish tradition is called fence laws. So the Jewish rabbis from before the Pharisees' time, during the Pharisees' time, after the Pharisees' time, they would establish what were called fence laws. And the idea is that they wanted to make sure that they did not accidentally or even purposefully break any of God's commands from the Torah. And so they would create, they would write new laws that would keep you from getting too close from violating the other law. So for instance, let's think of this this way. If you're at the Grand Canyon and you're standing right at the edge of the cliff, the cliff is the law, right? If you step off, you break the law. Well, 
that's dangerous. So what if we built a fence like five feet back? Then nobody can get up there, right? That's safer if we build that fence there. So that's what the, that's what the traditions are. They're trying to put fence laws in place to protect people. Seems like that's a good idea, right? That seems, that seems smart. And in and, and this particular case, what's, what's the law that the Pharisees are fencing when it comes to washing? There are places in the Torah where God commands the Jewish people to wash. If you're a priest and you're about to offer a sacrifice, you have to wash. If you're anybody and you happen to come in contact with some kind of bodily fluid, you have to wash. You're ceremonially unclean. You can't come and offer worship. So there are places where the people knew they were supposed to wash. However, we can see from this passage that the Pharisees are adding many other occasions in which people have to wash. And the problem with this, not only are they adding to God's word, they are actually valuing these traditions over God's commands. They're valuing their own traditions over God's commands. This devotion to man-made tradition is what Jesus is coming after them in this passage about. And Jesus is, is not happy with them. The word tradition shows up five times in this passage, over and over and over again. Jesus is, is, is focusing on your traditions, your traditions. These are not God's. These are man's. And I want to give you just a couple of examples. These are quotes from the Jewish Talmud, which the Talmud is the primary text in Judaism for interpreting the law. And it's a very long, complex work that was put together over many, many years. I want to give you just two uh, quotes from the Talmud. Know then that the words of the scribes are more lovely than the words of the law. That's pretty bold. Or how about this one? Whoever eats bread without washing of hands is as if he lay with a prostitute. Wow. Do you see why Jesus is upset? The, the equivalencies that they're making that, that do not come from God's word? They're putting these pious things in place and trying to make themselves feel better about their actions. They're laying burdens on people, laying guilt on people. You got to wash or you're guilty of something that would actually be punishable by death. Jesus is not at all impressed with their piety. Take a look at what he says. Quoting Isaiah chapter 29, he says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. In vain do you worship me. Can you see him saying that to these guys? These are the religious leaders of the day. He has a scathing rebuke for them. And this, this all is a matter of worship. We know that from scripture, the entirety of our lives is to be devoted to the Lord in worship. The Old Testament and the New Testament testifies to the fact that worship is not just singing the right songs at the right time together. Worship is not just offering the sacrifices you're supposed to offer when you're supposed to offer them. There's a lot more to worship than that. It's actually devoting the entirety of our lives to the Lord, giving it to him to demonstrate his worthiness. 
And Jesus is saying that these guys have missed that part. They're just worried about these externals that don't actually demonstrate a heart of worship. For you note takers, write down Isaiah chapter 1 and chapter 58. Because this is actually a really important theme in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah 1 and Isaiah 58 are really important places where God comes to Isaiah and says, you need to tell the people that what they're doing, all these external things, I don't care. I'm I'm fed up with their worship. And so Jesus is drawing from this teaching that has been something God has been telling them for a long time. All right, so we see then, moving into the next part of this passage, what this fruit is of legalism, what comes out of this heart of legalism. Jesus says, you guys are hypocrites. And this is a primary fruit that grows from legalism. So hypocrisy is an idea we're probably all familiar with. Uh, Christians often get um, accused of being hypocrites. You guys don't live the way you say you, you, you ought to live, or, or it's not in line with what you claim, right? So we're probably familiar with this. We're probably all guilty of hypocrisy. Uh, but this, this idea, this word hypocrite comes from the Greek, from the idea of acting, A hypocrite was somebody who was an actor in a play. They were playing a role. It's often associated with wearing a mask because you're you're not playing yourself, you're playing a character. All right, so this is what a hypocrite is. And there's a spectrum of hypocrisy that we see in the New Testament with the Pharisees. There are times when the Pharisees come to Jesus pretending that they, they have a question for Jesus. Oh, Jesus, what do you think about this? But they know that what they're actually trying to do is trap him in his words. And we see this a number of times. And that's hypocrisy because that's that's playing a role. They're acting. They're not sincere. But this is different in Mark chapter 7. This is a lot worse. Because in Mark chapter 7, they don't know that they're playing a role. They don't know that they're being hypocritical. They think they're fine. They think they're doing the right thing. The Pharisees have confused drama with reality. They've imagined that the the, the play that they've created is the real thing, and they've done so rigorously. And they're a lot more dangerous because of that. Jesus gives a specific example of hypocrisy. He tells them about how they're committing hypocrisy through this thing called Corbin. So we need to just take a second to figure out what's going on with with Corbin. Let's read a few of these verses. Verse 9. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Do you hear? Do you feel? Do you sense the sarcasm that Jesus has? You have a fine way way. And this is actually, this sarcasm is more pointed in the Greek. So if you want to nerd out about that, find me afterwards and we can talk about that. Um, Let's keep going. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. So what is Corbin? Corbin is this gift that they've pledged to the temple or to God. And it's like a deferred gift. So that means that the gift doesn't go to the temple until after the person that pledges it has died. 
In the meantime, however, they remain in control of those material goods that they've pledged to the temple. So the problem with this, though, is if that person's parents who's a, who are aging, if they need help, if they need support, and, and if they come to their son and say, hey, son, you know, we're getting older. We don't have ways of having income. They didn't have 401ks or retirement accounts or social security, right? This is how you cared for the elderly in their time. You had actually to give of your own money to care for your parents. But the person is like, well, you know, I'd love to do that, mom and dad. The thing is, I'm giving it to the Lord. I'm going to give that money to the Lord. And and so I I don't have, you know, the ability, the freedom to to help you in this way. And Jesus says, hogwash. No. Because what you're doing is you're valuing this idea of giving a gift, looking pious, making a vow. Oh, we can't break vows. But that vow has caused you to violate the fifth commandment to honor your father and your mother. So Corbin is missing the entire point of the law. God did not give his law simply as a way to see who's naughty and who's nice. God did not give his law as a way for people to demonstrate that they could earn their way into his kingdom and show that they're worth being in his kingdom. The law was given, however, for the good of God's people. It was given to show them God's heart for caring for one another and what it looked like to live in a community that's redeemed by God, who's put his love and his grace on them, and then they live in that love and grace toward one another. Again, for you note takers, write down Psalm 19 and Psalm 119. These two Psalms are two beautiful passages on the goodness of God's law. Sometimes the law gets a bad rap for us New Testament believers because we read things like, you know, our salvation is not by works and you can never be saved by works of the law. And all of that is true. That doesn't mean the law is bad. It means we can't keep it and we need somebody else to do that for us. We'll get to that in a little bit. So the law is good. The law shows people how to live in a loving community. And the fifth command specifically shows how to do that in microcosm. God says, if you honor your parents, you're going to live long in the land that I'm giving you. That's not just a promise of long life. That's a promise of when you get into the promised land, you're going to have a thriving community if you care for one another. If you don't, it's not going to work out for you guys. All right, so we've, we've picked on the Pharisees a little bit here. What about legalism in our own lives? I can tell you for myself that legalism is something I have struggled with in my life and I continue to wrestle with it. Uh, I grew up in a particular community of believers that was prone toward legalism, toward all kinds of rules in, in very normal areas of life, such as the clothes that you wore, how you did your hair, right? Your appearance or the media that you consumed. What music could you listen to? What movies could you watch? Or school choices, which pretty much was you should homeschool or you're wrong. Not even Christian school, right? That's that's off the table because that's not God's way. Or surrounding dating or rather courtship relationships. How you get into a long-term relationship had all kinds of rules around how you must do that. Now, as I list those things, you probably think, well, it's pretty important to think carefully about those issues, right? Yes, it is. It is. But 
just like we said before, we can have good intentions and get in the wrong place. So I was pretty self-righteous as a result of all of these rules that I was keeping. I thought God was impressed with me. I thought I was part of an elite group of Christians. I felt sorry for other Christians that didn't know what I knew. But what I came to find out over time is that my legalism was a type of prosperity gospel. That I thought if I kept all of these rules and principles, that God was going to give me blessings uh, such as I, I could guarantee certain outcomes in my life if I kept the right rules. Or I could avoid certain types of suffering if I kept the right rules. And I certainly looked down my nose at the people that didn't have the same standards that I had. And so God showed me that I, I thought I was owed things because of my goodness. And that's legalism. That's thinking my actions are what makes me acceptable. What about in your life? Maybe you can relate to that, this idea of being a fastidious rule keeper, having all kinds of strict rules. Maybe you have tended to look down your nose at people that don't think or believe the same way that you do. Or maybe you're like, man, I'm just glad I didn't grow up like Zach. I'm glad I'm not a legalist. Glad I don't follow a bunch of stupid rules. But the problem is, the reality is that all of us are prone to legalism in some way, shape, or form. We're all prone to think that our acceptance is based on our goodness. So there, there are many ways that this could show up in our lives. Let me just offer a few. Like maybe you've thought, well, I can't be friends with this person because they believe this. Fill in the blank. Or I can't really foster a relationship with that person because they vote this way. Or maybe you're thinking, you know, all the good things in my life, I have them because God is pleased with how good I am. And we see this kind of thing exhibited in our society all the time. You don't even have to be a, a Christian or a religious person to take on this mindset. One of the ironies of our time is that even though we're in an increasingly irreligious culture, our culture has hung on to a couple of things from religion. It's hung on to the idea of morality, but it's redrawn the lines. And then it's hung on to legalism, that you're accepted based on how well you do or keep the things we say you must do or keep. And if you don't keep our rules, then you're cut off. You're canceled. We're done with you. You don't even have to be religious to be a legalist. But this does beg a question for us, which is, is there a place for extra biblical boundaries in our lives? I've just spent a lot of time talking about the care that we should be taking around that. But it, does that mean we shouldn't have these boundaries? Of course we should have boundaries. Of course we need to use wisdom in the way that we uh, apply order to our lives. And I want to give you just one example uh, when my parents were a young couple, they made the decision that they were not going to partake of alcohol, ever. And this was not because they had read all of the passages in the Bible that have warnings about alcohol, which there are lots of passages. And it's not because they grew up in homes where they were taught, you can't drink alcohol because that's bad. The reason that they made that decision as a young couple is because what they had seen in their own families. They had seen a grandparent who was an alcoholic. They had uh, a father who was an alcoholic. They had uncles who were alcoholics. They had cousins who struggled with alcohol. 
They watched in their own family, up close and in person, what it looked like for families to be destroyed by alcohol. So to make a decision that you're not going to partake because you don't want to bring that into your own home, that's not legalism, right? That's, we, we want to do what's right for our family, for our kids. We know what our family history is. We're not going to take a chance with that. That's using wisdom to create a healthy boundary in your life. Now, how could that become legalistic? Because it could. We could take that and say, well, look, because I can't drink alcohol, nobody should drink alcohol. No Christian should ever drink alcohol. That's wrong. Or maybe it's, um, I just can't foster friendships or relationships with people who drink alcohol. Or maybe you just think less of those people, even if you're still friends with them. You look down your nose. Well, they're not quite as spiritual as me. They don't love God quite as much as me because I'm willing to not drink. So we can take good things and we can turn them into bad things when our attitudes start to become prideful and arrogant and extra biblical. So again, our intentions might be good. But we need to take care with our intentions. The Pharisees had good intentions with their hand-washing rules, and it didn't go well. Jesus, though, wraps up with the antidote for legalism in these last few verses. We're not going to read all of these, but I want to read a few of them. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus, he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. We could summarize this passage this way. Sin does not originate outside of us, but within. And our salvation does not originate within us, but outside of ourselves. When I was in high school, college, and into my graduate years, I began to see a lot of people that I had grown up with or were acquainted with or people that I knew of who grew up in the same Christian community circles that I did. And I I saw these people walk away from their faith. Sometimes entirely leaving the faith, other times just being very confused about what Christianity should actually look like. And at first I was really confused by this because I thought, look, these people have done all the right things. They, they've been very careful to keep the influences of the world at bay through the, the lifestyle choices that they've made. They didn't listen to the wrong music. They didn't watch movies or TV shows unless they're family friendly. Uh, they, they were very careful not to put themselves into situations where they would be tempted to compromise their sexual purity. They did all the right things to keep sin out. So how come... How come they're walking away and into sin? And at some point, there was a light bulb moment for me where the truth of this passage really hit home. That we can build all the walls and fences that we want around us, 
We can play whack-a-mole with all of these external things in our lives, trying to make sure they're, they're knocked out. But if we don't deal with the sin that is festering already in our hearts, then we're in big trouble. And Jesus tells us what we actually need here. Jesus tells us that the antidote for legalism is a new heart. Ezekiel prophesied, God said, I'm going to remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Jeremiah said, God is going to write his law on your heart. These are prophecies of the new covenant that's coming through Jesus. A new heart is promised to us. A heart that wants to keep God's commands. That wants to do what is right in caring for other people. That wants to worship, not externally so we look good or so we're acceptable, but because we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we can only have this new heart through faith in Jesus. Earlier we talked about some of the things that the law was not supposed to be what it wasn't meant to be. But we do know from the New Testament that the law was meant to point us to Jesus. That it was meant to show us our need for him because we learn in the New Testament we could never earn righteousness or be acceptable by keeping all of God's laws. Much less all the extra laws that the Pharisees came up with. That's not where our righteousness comes from. Our righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we are placing our faith in what he's done, that our acceptability is from what he's done, that he's removed the penalty and and the stain of our sin and given us his perfect righteousness, that's when we can be freed from the weight of legalism. That's when we have a desire to walk with him with a sense of, I I don't have to do all these things to please people and impress people. Only Jesus can cause the transformation that the law requires but cannot affect. I heard one preacher say that Christians often treat all of these external rules as the miracle grow for our Christian life. That if we sprinkle in all the right rules, we're going to grow. God's going to bless us. But in reality, all of these extra rules can become like Roundup. We're just spraying poison on the ground of our hearts. Or they can become like those weeds that grow up, remember in Jesus' parable, that choke out the word. Because we're too busy with things that aren't the word that we think are as good as or better than the word. So as we wrap up, I just want to mention a few things that could be your own response uh, to this. What what does this mean for you? Uh, What would God have to say to each of us in this passage? Maybe you can relate to the idea of being weighed down by legalism. That you have felt oppressed by extra rules or expectations that you're just not keeping up enough of these rules to be pleasing to God or to other people. And I would say to you, remember the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That the way we are pleasing to him is through Jesus. And Jesus is a gentle and lowly savior and a good shepherd. And maybe you relate to all that we've said this morning in that you are proud. 
that you actually have an arrogant heart where you look down at other people because you feel like you're doing well and other people are not. Remember the grace of God in your life. Remember that you are forgiven through what Jesus has done and not because of what you've done. Or maybe you have reacted to legalism by throwing off rules altogether because you've seen the hypocrisy of legalists and you're sick of it and you don't want to have anything to do with that. Remember that our obedience to Jesus' command flows from a heart of love for him because of what he's done for us, because of who he is. And if you have experienced that, I I hope that you can see that the legalism is not from Jesus, that the forgiveness is from Jesus, the kindness, the patience is from Jesus. And he wants to change our hearts so that we walk in his ways. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this word. Lord, there are so many ways that we wrestle with these things. And Lord, I'm sure there are ways that people are wrestling right now that I didn't even mention. And I pray that we would be encouraged as we think about your grace toward us. Lord, we just sing, Christ is enough. Lord Jesus, would you show us that you are enough? And would we live according to that truth, that reality, that you are enough? And may we rest in grace, in humility. May we not find or think that our acceptance is, or is based on our rule following. May we not be arrogant and proud. May we be humble before you, recognizing that the sin is from within, and you are the one that changes that by your grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.